The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, tell your air conditioner to chill out and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 364 with guest Stacy Harris, recorded live Monday, July 14, 2008. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Data Dynamics. Makers of ActiveReports.net, simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET Web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now... The man who's got on so much lanacane he makes Nicole Kidman look like Dennis Rodman. Carl Franklin. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl Franklin here for your listening pleasure. Richard Campbell is on vacation. However, we did pre-record the interview, so don't worry about that. He's coming right up here. Um, yes, I do have a terrible sunburn. It was bad. Very stupid on my part not to wear sunscreen. Wear your sunscreen, kids. It really, really works. And uh, you do not want to sunburn like I have. Ouch. It's just beginning to itch. Say no more. Well, uh, anyway, it's going to be a good show, but let's kick things off with Better Know Framework. All right. And Better Know Framework, of course, where I shine a light on little namespaces and classes in the framework, little pieces of it. Things that you may not have known about, um, some things you probably already do know about. The idea is that over time, some of this stuff will seep in by osmosis. Today, I just want to bring your attention to the system.transactions namespace. Uh, if you're doing any kind of database transactions or distributed transactions, if you were using enterprise services before, you really must check this out. This is new in .NET 2.0, so it's been around for a while, and we even did a show on it with Jubal Lowy way back when. But there's lots of great stuff in there, system transactions. One really great feature of it is that you can use a database transaction against a local database and without writing any code, sort of upgrade it to a distributed transaction. 
without having to uh, do major surgery. So that's really cool. There's also transaction scopes, which we talked with Brent Vandermeed about on DNR TV. Really, really incredible stuff in there. Stuff that you would never attempt to do with transactions now. You can do in five minutes. Uh, you know, depending on how studly a programmer you are. Well, so there you go. System transactions. Know it, love it, learn it. We don't have an email today. We ran out of email. Send us your thoughts, your flames, your your kudos, anything, any stories you have of where you uh, listen to .NET Rocks and how you listen to it. And um, send any of that to .NET Rocks at franklins.net. Uh, Greg Brillard Infusion still hiring .NET Rocks listeners for his empire down there in New York City. Also, Dubai. If you want to go to the Middle East and, and go to where everything is happening right now, crazy bandwidth, ridiculous resources, uh, a lot of money to be made in Dubai right now. Uh, or New York City, if you want to take the New York tour, spend a year in Manhattan working with uh, really great creative people on great projects, and uh, they'll move you out here, and they'll pay for your apartment for a year. So check that out if you want the details at shrinkster.com slash kh6. If you're interested in any of this stuff, Dubai, whatever, or even surface computing development, if you want to do some of that, send me an email, carl at franklins.net. I will make sure it gets to the proper people. All right, well, now let's get to the interview. Richard, let's uh, introduce our guest. Charles Stacy Harris III is a senior software architect with Microsoft Services. Stacy, as he likes to be called, has been part of Microsoft's field services organization since 1992. In that time, he's developed a wide range of software, including device drivers for custom hardware, customer service applications, e-commerce websites, prototypes for advanced aircraft instrumentation, man after your own heart, Richard, and was even on loan to the Microsoft Cluster Server Development Team for a short time. Absolutely. Stacy has a degree in theoretical mathematics, uh, and I'm in trouble in that case. <laughs> I'll just let you guys talk for an hour. Just wake me up when you're done. <laughs> and is entirely self-taught in software development. His first programming was at the age of 12 when his father bought him a book on 8080 and Z80 assembly language. But because his family couldn't afford a computer, he wrote all of his code on paper and ran it in his head. Shortly in his imagination, his bio says. But I think in nice. his head it sounds better. Oh, yeah. Well, anyway, yeah, here I am editing your bio on the fly. Sorry about that. Shortly after that, he moved to a 6502 CPU on a Kim 1 microcomputer, or KIM 1. How do you say that? Uh, yeah, Kim 1. Kim 1? Yep. We'll have to talk about that because I don't recall that. <clears throat> a microcomputer kit that belonged to his best friend's dad. Here he learned to key in hex opcodes directly into memory and had his first true introduction to debugging. To wind down from long days of software design and development, Stacy enjoys spending as much time as possible with his family, photography, bicycling, studying French and Italian, and of course, writing more code. Welcome, Stacy. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks very much. So this all started with a coding for fun article, as I recall. <laughs> yes, which is what I do uh, in my spare time. You have or spare when time? I not sleeping. Well, yeah. I don't sleep. If yeah. you give up sleep, you get spare time. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not just going to talk about um, the the fun of programming. We're going to talk about home automation today, right? Oh, yeah. Which well, that's now, part of the fun. Well, now, Richard, I know that you're wired up with uh, some of that firecracker stuff, some of that, uh, what do they call it, 
Uh, X10. X10, right. Oh, yes. Now, I do the X10 thing, and uh, we've been all over the automation equation. But what really caught my attention, this was an article back in May that uh, the states put together, was this one on using uh, the Robotics Developer Studio for basically making your house the robot and being able to test all of these, these different features, which I just thought was a really cool idea. Robotics Studio, wow. Yeah, yeah. The um, idea being that uh, a robot, if you look at sort of the definition in Microsoft uh, Robotics Studio, a robot is pretty much anything with sensors and actuators. And when you start talking about automating your house, you start talk- you're talking about putting in hardware to sense the things that are going on in the house uh, or to activate things uh, in the house, such as lights or door locks. or and That's what an actuator like is, something like yeah. a switch that you can throw electronically? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, with that in mind, I thought, well, you know, Robotic Studio seems to be sort of geared towards that. That's what it's all about is uh, coordinating those types of things. But it's also about uh, putting together you know, bits and pieces of hardware that are not necessarily all... Um, Homogenous. They don't always have the same type of interface. Uh, they don't. They're not always from the same manufacturer. But with Robotic Studio, you can write these services that front end the bits and pieces of hardware and give them a sort of common interface. Give them a way that you can talk to them through uh, the ro- Robotic Studio code. And this is definitely something that they deal with robotics all the time. That you have. You know, motors from one company and and laser distance sensors from another company and and so forth, and trying to bring them all to a common interface so you can actually build software from them is pretty tough. Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, I actually I'd love to have a laser distance sensor in my house. I wonder if I can get that one by my wife. They're like four uh, grand. <laughs> Ask me how I know. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I don't think that one's going to fly. What, does uh, does OPC help you out any? We just did a show with Nathan Pocock on OPC. You know, I, I listened to that show, and actually while I was listening to it, I was thinking about some of the same things that I did. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very similar problem, uh, but it's a slightly different scale, I think, uh, in terms of, especially in terms of home automation. Now, some robots really have to respond really quickly, uh, and, and that's the type of you know, industrial robots that you're going to see. And we actually are building, uh, we, Microsoft, uh, are building uh, software, or our customers are building software using Robotics Studio to solve some of those same problems that you solve in the OPC world. Uh, so you know, when, you, when you guys are talking about that and talking about how uh, some of the, the OPC stuff is now being represented as services, but they're sort of stateful services, uh, this is really directly analogous to what we do in Robotics Studio. I guess the thing, the first thing I think about is, are there common protocols that these robots talk and the home automation stuff talks? I mean, are, uh, uh, is there a standard set of hardware protocols that all of the home automation gear follows? No, that's uh, that's one of the big uh, problems is that there's not. Now, you're starting to see a lot of people building um home automation software under you know, several protocols. There's uh, ZigBee and Z-Wave for the, the wireless RF uh, protocols. And then the wired-in devices, a lot of manufacturers are exposing devices through uh, TCP nowadays, but there's no sort of standard protocol. And that's part of the big problem is that if you're trying to write software, 
uh, if you look at some of the home automation software that's out there in the market, one of the things they have to do is they, they have to say, well, we write plugins essentially for you know, the Brand X motion detector and the uh, Brand Y security camera and, and so on. So they, they have to write these plugins, and each software package out there has solved the problem in a sort of different and custom way. So I got to imagine um, when you go shopping for your motion detectors and your your door locks and all of the carbon monoxide detectors and all those things that you have to make sure that they're going to speak a language that you're that you can actually talk to them in and right, write an right. adapter for yeah. Yeah, and and in the case of uh of some of those, you know, so for example in, in my system um you, you sort of pick a hub, you pick a panel that's usually a security and automation panel, um, a piece of hardware that you will plug in these standard things like motion detectors and glass break detectors. And those things just sort of appear to that panel as, as switches, either normally open or normally closed switches. And when they're triggered, they uh, just close or open a switch on that panel. Uh, and then you have to tell the panel what type of device that is. So that's the you know the bulk of those types of devices. So then you can talk to the panel, right? And right, and you talk to the panel through. And in the case of uh, the article, you notice I use a panel from a company called Elk uh, Elk Products. Uh, in the case of that panel, I talk uh, to the panel through uh, TCP/IP. Uh, so I created a service that front ends that panel, and everything that Robotic Studio does, the, the code that I wrote with Robotic Studio all talks to that panel uh, through a socket, basically. So so it's kind of like a your own little layer of abstraction. It's no different, exactly. really. Exactly. And the, the nice thing, though, is that once you've built these layers of abstraction using Robotic Studio with something called a decentralized software services model, is that now you can expose these things as RESTful web services. So now you're no longer into the proprietary space of my plugin has to talk this this uh, language that's specific to that package. By REST, now you, you just can... mean REST, REST. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so now, though, you, you can even take a web browser and point it to uh, one of these devices. So, for example, uh, you can browse to the security panel, or you can browse to the lighting service, or you can browse to uh, the motion detector service. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it just opens up the possibilities, right? Like, there's just so many things we could do here. Once It's interesting how once we get to IP, everything is easy. Yep. Yep. You get to IP, and you get to some standard protocols, uh, like HTTP and, uh, and TCP, which uh, the... the Robotic Studio services will talk either uh, or both at the same time. You get to that, and then you can start building things like AJAX applications that control your home automation system or Silverlight applications that control your system. Um, so, you know, one of the things that we have in the house is uh, little touch screens that we're building software on the custom software on the touch screens. Because I really didn't like the interfaces that were available from the, the off-the-shelf packages. They weren't really optimized to, to use the, the full features of these touchscreens, which are, are uh, Windows CE devices that run .NET 2.0. Uh, the, the off-the-shelf packages give you a really simple HTML 
browser interface, which no one in the house was really happy with, when you can get a much richer experience than that. So how much programming was involved, actually, for you personally when you were hooking all this stuff up? Um, well, um, the, the, uh, the long answer to that is in the article. Uh, if you all take right. a look at the code that's on CodePlex, uh, that's the long answer. But the short answer is that it was actually not that much. Um, when you, you start looking at some of the services, like uh, the service that talks to the Elk panel, um, the, the code that does the I.O. for that um, is, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe a couple hundred lines of code, but that's with lots of comments, uh, well, uh, a few comments, I won't say lots, with a few comments and, uh, you know, lots of uh, formatting and whatnot, but it's uh, 150, 200 lines of code maybe. When you start to look at uh, things like the Z-Wave um, device controller. Um, that's actually a lot less because I was able to to make use of a .NET SDK that already existed out there in the market uh, from a company called Control Think. So using their SDK made you know doing the Z-Wave lighting pretty simple. But even if I were starting with another lighting system that didn't have this type of SDK, writing the services is really easy because Robotics Studio gives you a base service and you derive from that and just sort of implement handlers. Uh, the model is one of defining messages and message types. Uh, so, for example, there's a, a message that will dim a light. You define a payload for that message, which includes the device ID and the dim level. You define what the message looks like, and the base robotic studio service, this DSSP service, uh, implements the code that you need for doing things uh, like the, the like threading and state management. So you don't have to write any of that code. You just write, here's my handler for that message, and you're pretty much done. I want to just take a minute to uh, bring you a message from our sponsor, Telerik, and uh, let you know that this portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Telerik. You know summer is in full swing now, and you're probably lying on the beach but our friends at Telerik are working hard as usual to bring you exciting new stuff for your .NET toolbox. How about two brand new control suites, RAD Controls for WPF and RAD Controls for Silverlight. That's right. If you started building next-generation applications, you now have UI components with Telerik quality and Telerik reliability. Both product lines are derived from the same code base and share the same API, so transition is seamless. Uh, they have many improvements in the other robust suites for ASP.NET, AJAX, and Windows Forms also, as well as the intuitive reporting tool. But product alone isn't everything. To jumpstart your projects and help you easily get up to speed with these great tools, Telerik has got a couple of unique training resources, the Telerik Interactive Trainer and Telerik TV, of course, which I'm the host of. Now, that's what I call summer heat. Go check out all the details at Telerik.com, T-E-L-E-R-I-K.com. And if you happen to run into those guys, say thanks for supporting .NET Rocks. So you have in your talking points a list of things that, uh, that your system covers. Mm -hmm. Should we talk about some of these things? I mean, um, I mean it's sure. just really a list. I don't know what there is to talk about. But we're talking about controlling lights. Mm -hmm. We're talking about controlling HVAC systems. Mm -hmm. And both with sensors and actuators, like uh, you can take, you know, because one of the big program problems with our HVAC system here is that nobody understands how the program works, right? right? 
So it'd be kind of cool to be able to offset all of that. Just give me a sensor and an actuator and let me do my own logic, right? Because I really don't understand how this thing works. And you know what? Frankly, neither does the HVAC company that put it in. Right, right. So uh, uh, water usage, like sprinkler systems. Yep. Very cool. So I guess you would have like a sensor in your lawn that would check the water level or something when it gets too dry. Right. The things pop up and Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you can do um so you can do sensors that uh check for, you know, is it too dry? You can do sensors for uh has it rained? So for example, yeah. you know, we usually do watering on a schedule. So we water in the morning once and in the evening once. Uh and then around the the flower beds, you know, those have their own schedule. Well, you, you can have a sensor so that in uh, you know, in Michigan, in Ann Arbor, Michigan where I'm from, it rains, but it's unpredictable, right? right? So if it happened to rain that morning, you don't want to run the right. sprinkler system. Right. So the sensor will kick in, and and the logic will just say, "Oh well, it's wet, so we're not gonna uh, not gonna run the system." Very the cool. Uh, intrusion yeah. deterrence and detection. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, mm-hmm. yeah. Go ahead. Well, so for example, uh, intrusion deterrence is things like having lights come on and off at certain times. Yeah, uh, you can even do things like have televisions or music go on and off, so it's the house looks lived in. Uh, and then intrusion detection is motion detectors, um, glass break detectors, things like that. Okay, and don't you do the sort of a usual? Uh, you have that's an alarm system that just tie the alarm system into all of this. Yeah, so the if you look at the um, the specs for the uh, the elk panel that I use, um, that's actually a combination of alarm panel and uh, automation system. And uh, they actually will do things on the elk panel. Like they, they, you can buy uh, modules that will control lights and things like that. And you can program it all in that panel. Uh, it's not quite as flexible as being able to, to write .NET code and, and have more uh, sort of complex algorithms behind this. Uh, so, you know, for example, uh, go, you know, going off the security for for just a moment, but uh, more into the, the convenience aspect of it. Uh, you're writing .NET code, so you could, for example, open up Outlook and create an appointment uh, or a, a type of appointment that's say a party. Uh, I'm going to have a party on this day, and you know, list out the hours, and uh, have Outlook run a wizard that says, okay, well, what kind of music would you like to play? What time do you want to start the music? What time do you want to stop the music? What lighting scenes do you want to have set? Um, should I send a grocery list to your your phone or PDA? Uh, you know all of those things. So you're getting some things that aren't directly related to home automation, but then sort of bleed into it. The day of the party comes, uh, the lighting goes to the the scenes that you've set as guests are arriving. The music turns on. You don't have to think about that. You have playlists that are automated. Um, then when it's time to leave, you bring all the lights up, turn off the music, and you know, and guests get the hint that it's time yeah, to leave. Send out the Roombas. <laughs> See, I would think yeah, uh, yeah. if I did this, I think I would have too much fun with it, and maybe that would be a problem. Like you know, for intrusion <laughs> detection, if if somebody's breaking into my house, what I'd probably do is record a big wave file with a lot of reverb of me going get out. <laughs> And I'd like play that through every speaker in the house, crank up the subwoofers and flash the lights on and oh, off, yeah. you know, <laughs> turn on red lights and sirens and stuff. Yeah, but you know, there's no, <laughs> no such thing as too much fun with it. I think that would be cool. <laughs> 
Well, and, but and it is interesting thing. to have the ability. You know, it's easy to create, get a, buy yourself a floodlight with a motion sensor on it, so that as you walk towards the house, the light turns on. Yeah. But to be able right. to pick up that signal and turn on other lights as well. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Which just makes it gives us a bigger well. A if you're just coming to the house, it's nice to have all the lights on so you can get in. And for mm-hmm. anybody else approaching the house, it be, looks like there's activity in the house. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and one one of the things about that too is uh, you'll notice in the in the uh, code of the article, I do a, a sample in there that's called the nightlight activity, uh, which is actually not the one that's running in my house today. Uh, it's a sort of stripped down version of it, just to make the code clear. Um, that was written using the visual programming language, or VPL, um, which it, it just generates C-sharp code uh, when you compile it. Uh, but the, the um, Nightlight is actually the most sort of one of the most popular ones in the house. Um, I've added in to it uh, sunrise and sunset detection. So I've created another uh, service that I added into Robotic Studio that is a, an alarm clock service. It will let you set alarms, uh, but it also has automatic alarms for the next sunrise and the next sunset time. So what we do is when the sun has set... Time for bourbon. We, nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, when the sun sets, you, you know it's time for certain activities to start, um, and the nightlight activity is one of those. Uh, so now when my, you know, my wife is getting up in the morning to go to work, she gets up earlier than, uh, earlier than God. Um, you know, she gets <laughs> up in the morning to go to work and the lights in the hallway come on when she walks out there based on the motion detector. So here's a motion detector that's part of the security system, but we've tapped into that to make it part of the convenience and comfort. Right. features of the house. Uh, I, uh, I find that a big advantage for like guests in the house that they, they want to turn on lights, but they don't want to turn them on too bright. So the fact that they turn themselves on low late at exactly. night just yep. solves the problem. That's nice. Yeah. Very, it's, it's very cool. And, you know, kids coming in and out of the house, they'll go into a bathroom and, you know, go in with you know, dirty hands, turn the light on. Well, you know, here you can have the light turn on. And when they leave the bathroom 20 minutes later, the light will turn off. Right. But you do, what about things like, how, what if it turns off while you're just sitting there still and it thinks you're gone? Does it have like sound detectors too? And like, what if you leave the radio on? Does the light ever go off? I mean, these are the kinds of things that I, I think would drive me nuts. And I, I would probably, you know, as much, con, uh, as much for convenience of not having to worry about stuff, I would start worrying about, you know, the glitches in the system. Sure. Yeah. And, and you do have to worry about some of those. So you do things like you make really long delays because nobody's really going to sit there perfectly still for half an hour. Yeah. Okay. Right. But but you know, and if if they do, well, maybe there's a problem. Call nine one one. They got other issues. <laughs> yeah. Or or you know they'll have to wiggle to get the light back on. <laughs> yeah. As soon as you move, it fires back up. It, the concept of a room occupancy sensor is an interesting one. Mm-hmm. I think people work really hard on it. It's sort of a variety of things. You may or may not be moving. And it, so what if you're in the room? What if you're sleeping? Right. Do you have microphones in the room so you can talk to the house through speech services and things, just like you, you know, know Star I, Trek? I, I don't. Um, that's yeah. I thought about it. That's um, a little crazy. Don't there's you think? really not a whole lot that I want to say to the house. But <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to just do things. You know, yeah. just do it without me asking. And the times that I do want to say something, it's more like you know, setting up a playlist for music or things like that. That I, I'd rather through a browser or a touch screen. How about computer? Computer. Yeah. You, know, you have to do it with a uh, Jean-Luc Picard yeah. voice. Computer. Otherwise, it won't work. <laughs> oh, man. Set sprinklers to on. 
<laughs> but right, I mean, it's right. interesting. The way we develop software in .NET today is a long way removed from the sort of real timeness that is what a house needs. <laughs> so just getting into mm. that that sort of state behavior, right? It's just a, right. it's a tricky way to think. Yeah, it is, and it's one of those things. If you start looking at uh, well, there, there are a couple of aspects of it. One is sort of the, the the notion that these services are stateful, which we're not really used to thinking about stateful services, um, but they are. They represent devices. They represent doors that are open or closed, uh, windows that are open or closed, temperature settings, all those types of things are represented by these services. Now the tricky thing is you're really going to hit concurrency in a big way because I have lots of sensors being triggered at once. So when I update the state of a service that within it has the state of all the doors and windows, say, well, people are opening and closing doors or walking around the house triggering motion detectors. That's all happening concurrently. Right. So you got to be able to handle that concurrency. Now, it's certainly not um, the level of concurrency that you'd get in, say, a factory automation situation. But there's still a high level of concurrency. Yeah, there's more than one person in your house. Yeah, yeah. You've got more than one person. You've got people competing to do things, uh, setting up playlists in the in the media player service. Well, you know, they're going to compete for that if they don't have if you don't set things up correctly so that you know each person is talking to a different instance of the service. Um, so you have to think about things like that. Uh, you have to think about uh, things like well, I'm I'm changing the the temperature i'm i'm lowering the temperature of the upper level but my wife is in the other room she's raising the temperature of the upper level uh, you know do we do we just let, is it last one wins or do we tell you know the person hey somebody else is changing the temperature too yeah uh, what do we do so, now yeah what do we do um uh, so you know that, there there are various things like that but then uh, you know look at the the lighting service for example and you'll see that there are places where we need to be cognizant of, you know, we're talking to the one lighting controller in the house. Uh, different people are triggering different activities, uh, either through motion detectors or setting scenes or whatever. But we've got to coordinate all of that so that it all happens, that we don't lose anything, but we're still talking to the one piece of hardware. So that's where the uh, the robotic studio model, again, comes in handy. Um Using the, uh, you guys actually did a show on this, I think, on the, uh, or you talked about this in a show, the yeah, with Mark coordination runtime. Yeah. 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 So that, you know, the, using the CCR and, and this, uh, decentralized software services, uh, model, it really does make it very, very simple, but it's, it takes a while to get used to thinking the, the way that the, that the software sort of wants you to think, to think in, right terms of the CCR with its you know model of messages and ports and posting messages to ports. It's just not something that we do every day as .NET developers. Yeah, this is the side effect of interacting with the physical world. This is just those things we've got to do. Um, but I love the idea of being able to basically model my house based on its sensors and actuators and then mm -hmm. start playing with the software and saying, well, what will happen if we trade, you know, somebody walks down this hall? Yeah. And it starts, you start to think of things that, you know, as you walk around the house, and this is actually something I recommend to people who uh, are thinking about either retrofitting or, or building new, 
you start to walk around the house and you do things and you interact with the house in certain ways, just sort of put your mind in this, in this mode of, okay, well, I'm about to, for example, the first time we went into our new house, um, you know, we go up to the front door and we, we walk into the house and I see the doorbell and I think, oh, the doorbell, someone's going to ring that doorbell. What happens when someone rings the doorbell? Well, the kids are playing music in the house. They're blasting music. So they're not going to hear the doorbell. What if I could detect the doorbell and lower the music in the house and then play a doorbell sound throughout, throughout the uh, audio system in the house? Yeah. That's always a problem for me. Uh, you know, <laughs> the doorbell, never you can never hear it wherever you are. Right. Well, so we added a, a doorbell ring detector. It's a simple voltage detector, wired that into the system, and we're able to solve that problem just by sort of thinking differently about how we interact with the, the, the physical world and how that world can interact with the software. And I do think there's sort of a core set of sensors you need to think through. A doorbell's a great one. Knowing oh, yeah. is it night, daytime or nighttime is useful. Like, is it dark or light out? Yep. And is it raining or not? Mm-hmm. Like, those are sort of just environment, or even below the, up here at least, below the freezing mark is a useful thing to know. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, it's sort of, you know, you mentioned like the day or night thing. So my solution, which is, you know, not, not the greatest solution is to write this code that says, oh, you know, based on your location, I can tell you if, it, if it's sunrise or sunset has occurred. So I solved the nightlight problem by saying, well, if it's, uh, you know, after sunset, start the nightlight mode. You know, you, you go through halls and nightlights come on. Well, that's really right. not the greatest because, uh, middle of the day in a thunderstorm in Ann Arbor, Michigan, it gets really dark. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. And just because the sun rises here at 6 a.m. doesn't mean there's any light here until 8 or 9. Right. You need the environmental sensors because uh, you, just, you just don't know what's happening otherwise. But it's really kind of fun when you think about, you know, a lot of times we're dealing with software-only kinds of problems. Uh, we don't really get to, to write software that interacts with the environment very much. And, you know, this is a, a chance to sort of you know, get out there and, and software that does stuff. You know, I can be sitting here. I'm, I'm sitting in, uh, in Chicago right now. I'm not at home. But I can log on to my system. I can remote desktop into my house and see what has happened. Um, I can go in and say, oh, yeah, someone's at home or the garage door is open um, or, you know, just or my son left the lights on or, you know, whatever it might be, and I can change that. I can interact with it. And, you know, just sort of the cool factor of thinking that, and you know, freak him out. Miles he turned his light, yeah. off, oh, yeah. light off in his bedroom oh, yeah. while he was there. What about activate a little Skype session so you could talk to him here? Hey, do your homework. Turn the TV off. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, and, and he actually, we did that with... Um, uh, the the light thing with some uh, some friends of his were over, and uh, they you know st- staying overnight um, at our house. And he was on the phone with me. I was out of town. He was saying good night, and he said, "Hey, Dad, Dad, turn the light off in my room." <laughs> so I turned the light off in his wow. room, and the the guys are standing there. What what happened? <laughs> so my dad did that. He's out of town. But yeah, it's kind of fun. Yeah, it's fun. That'd be kind of cool to synchronize it to a certain second so you could, like, have him snap his fingers and, like, all the lights go nuts. Oh, yeah. How'd you do oh, yeah. that? Yep. But it's also good, like, when he was coming home uh, from school and we weren't there, um, I actually had the system set up so that when he came into the house, 
the system would send me uh, an SMS message so that I would know he was in the house. And when the garage door closed, because he would use his, his uh, keypad code to get in, and then he'd have to remember to close the garage door, he'd close the garage door, and I would know, oh, he's got the garage door closed. So it gives you sort of peace of mind that you know, you know he got in, he's, you know, he remembered to close the door, he's home safe. Um, so you know, kind of nice things like that, too. And I do like the ability. To, it's nice to be able to, from one point in the house, say, hey, turn off all the lights downstairs, you know, that sort of collective controlling. Yes, exactly. And to be able to change that easily, one of the, the problems with the systems that uh, we looked at in the past was that you, you get these hardwired lighting systems that are installed professionally and configured professionally, and they set up scenes for you and so on and so on. You go and decide, okay, well, I've got this button on my scene controller pad that turns off all the lights in the basement. Well, the problem is that, gee, I'm working late in the basement, and I really want to remove that light from the scene. I have to call a professional installer to do that? That's crazy. Yeah. That's kind of nuts. Yeah, I'm not paying and, 100 bucks just to have that adjusted. And yeah. I quickly discovered that all of those options I had, I used like two of them. Sure, sure. And it's probably a different two than someone else would use. Right. You know, it's it. You know, you use the set of options that are completely different from, uh, you know, what Carl would use or what I would use, just because of personal preference or lifestyle or whatever. So being able to control that, configure that stuff through software, uh, and and very easy to do software. You know, that's really cool. Being able to to make it so that my wife can easily change a scene in the house. That's really cool. And it's quite powerful. Yeah. And she, you know, she can do these things without having to be, you know, a computer geek like me. Hey, I just want to give a shout out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output. Give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActorReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. I, uh, I'm, I'm really interested in the sort of uh, uh, media center approach to the home automation stuff because uh, I've got the family understanding media center now. So adding uh, all the home controls into the same environment seems makes the most sense to me. Oh, yeah. And also in terms of audio-visual systems in general that you can control. Yeah, exactly. And uh, media centers are really – so I've actually uh, – I've had the chance to do some media center development. Um, it's a little different in, in some ways, um, but it's a pretty powerful platform. But the, again, another nice thing about a solution like the Robotic Studio solution is that you can expose those services so that a media center plugin can easily interact with any service that you write. Uh, so similar to the way that we talked about, uh, uh, you know, doing something like Silverlight or uh, or an AJAX application, your media center application could easily invoke the the service through these uh, REST APIs to turn lights on and off or to check temperature or, you know, whatever else you might need to do. Um, so having those options, you know, I look at Media Center as sort of that, um, the, the ultimate interface into the home automation system because it's, 
you know, it's big. You can sit across the room with the remote and you can just, you know, control the heck out of your house. Right. Yeah. And all of that just works automatically. What do you do for AV uh, per se? Are you doing like a lot of central distribution? Uh, you know, what's what's your solution for? for yeah, you know, I, I was wondering if you were going to ask me that. Oh, well, there you go. I'm, I'm here to well, serve, man. So, so right now we don't do a whole lot. Um, we're uh, okay. So this is the funny part. We we actually designed this house and we built all this great automation stuff into the house, um, and. You know, we wired it up so that every room has, um, you know, at the time, uh, the house is about um, a year plus a few months old. Uh, we wired it up so that every room has a minimum of three runs of Cat5e, uh, minimum of two runs of coax, um, and the larger rooms have uh, have multiple bundles like that. So they'll have, uh, you know, six or nine uh, cat five or so on. Uh, we moved into the subdivision and of course, wouldn't you know, Comcast was not available yet. So we had no cable. Nice. Well, you know, we look, <laughs> and then we, we looked into, uh, you know, satellite, but you know, for the, what we wanted, it was just kind of, you know, not the greatest solution for us. Uh, so for about a year, we've had uh, one fuzzy channel of broadcast television. <laughs> so y- y- that's where the free time comes from. You don't watch. Yeah, TV. yeah. I see where the free time comes <laughs> you're from. Right, you're, right. you're resisting all the television. There's no Battlestar yeah. Galactica in your life. Hey, let's watch. Uh, never mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Write some. Well, and we did. We uh, yeah. So television for us is you know watching whatever is on Hulu or you know whatever. You know, that, that's, what, that's what television is, or watching DVDs. But we are sort of set up for uh, being able to do AV distribution. It's just I haven't tackled the problem yet because I don't have the problem yet. <laughs> nothing to distribute. Yeah, nothing to distribute. <laughs> so. But you know, it's interesting that uh, most folks look at home automation around the AV solution. And mm-hmm. I know I'm certainly looking at it, and it sounds like you are as well, as it's about automating the house. Yeah, yeah. I want to be able to control lights from anywhere. I want to be able to control the sprinkle system from anywhere, from the security system. When I actually figured out all the light switches I was going to need in my kitchen alongside the audio controller and the security controller, it's like I needed an eight-foot wall to fit all of the switches on it. Yeah. So going to a touch panel was just – it wasn't optional. I had to do it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because there are light switches in my kitchen, and and we actually did – there are switches all over the kitchen. Uh, I don't even know what they do. (laughs) <laughs> because well, I don't. I walk into the kitchen and we've got uh, a little four-button scene controller in the kitchen. You walk in, you press one of the scene buttons. I know what those do. There's yeah. the all-on scene. There's the nighttime scene. There's the you know midnight snack scene. I know what those mm-hmm. are. But if I had to try to find the switch that actually controls the the uh, uh, the pantry light, I don't know where that is. I don't know where that's. I mean, it's one of those switches that's around the room, but I wouldn't know which one it was. Yeah, my current renovation, I'm actually taking all those switches and sticking them in a closet. Yep. So that yeah, we did that in the home theater. Because you just don't need them. Yeah, we did that in our home theater. All the switches are in the in the AV closet, and when you walk into the theater, there's just a little uh, a little scene controller. And that's that's all you really need. Hey, did you actually like tie your carbon monoxide detecting into this somehow? Um. I did not. Uh, you can do that. Um, it's actually t- it's tied into the alarm panel, 
but I don't actually read that sensor for anything on the automation front. So there will be an alarm. Richard, you uh, asked that like that was a like a difficult thing to do, is it? Yeah, it's just that generally emergency sensors are somewhat isolated from everything else. Right. But yeah, if it's tied into your, through your security system, then there's obviously a signal in the security system, and it's tied to the home automation system so you can yeah. see it. It's it's there. You can see it if you want to, to see it. You can see the carbon monoxide. You can see the smoke detectors. Uh, we even have water uh, or liquid sensors, to be more accurate. We have liquid sensors um, around, for example, the, the, the furnace. Uh, in our old house, we actually had uh, the, uh, what do you call it, the condensation tube from the air conditioner, that little right. condensation drain. Uh, we live in an area where, where we have well and septic, and that thing sort of got clogged up from mineral deposits or something. And ended up leaking in uh, the basement of our old house. Well, luckily, we found it the day that the leak started, so the puddle wasn't too big. But can you imagine being you know, out of town or whatever, and this thing starts going, and you come back to a basement full of water? Right. Well, we decided to put any place where we thought you know this could be a problem, so near the furnace, near the water heaters. Near the fish uh, tank? But we don't have a fish tank. That's a good idea. I don't recommend them. <laughs> well, and the, the other places near, uh, if you have, uh, you know, if you have a washing machine, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, the the hose on the back of that washing machine, you know, that's another potential source of leak, and I actually have seen that happen. Sure. Now I've now got a controller hooked up to my water shutoff, so right. that if it picks up leaks in certain places, it, if there's a burst pipe somewhere or something like that, at least yep. shutting off the water will help. But exactly. Uh, yeah, nothing will save you from a broken 125-gallon saltwater fish tank, let me tell you. Nope, that was Richard bad. Knows. <laughs> yeah, but the good yeah, news that's... is it's only 125 gallons. It does stop. When they, when the you know when a pipe breaks in your house, the city will keep supplying you water till your house is filled and then some. <laughs> yes. Yeah, see, that's when you need that Roomba that sucks up water. Ah, no. <laughs> uh, the, water the water sucker Roomba. It'd have to be the industrial version. Yeah. <laughs> But you know, there's an interesting angle on this, as much as we're talking about Robotic Studio, and the house is the robot, which is getting to a point where stuff like Roombas is an integral part of all of this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, so the the decentralized model here, again, comes into play, because there's nothing to say that, you, you're, you're, that your code that you're writing in C-sharp or VPL or whatever can't talk to the Roomba service and the lighting service and, you know, another service. So you can coordinate these services in a distributed way. So you can have your robot walking around the house or rolling around the house, interacting with the house. Yeah. There's, well, that's no the most useful thing I can think of when you think about a Roomba, which is not a fast machine by any stretch of the imagination, is having the house say, everybody's left, run the Roomba now. Exactly. Yeah. I just don't know how you'd go about that. I don't think Roomba's even got interfaces like that. Well, actually, you can program them. Yeah, you can the program them. Uh, and there are some samples in uh, Robotic Studio. And one, one of the things we didn't talk about uh, is the simulation environment. Let's get into that. Because oh, sure. you can actually go into the simulation environment and program what's called the iRobot Create. That's their sort of vacuumless version of the Roomba. And that's really just for you know people who want to write robotic software and experiment with robotic software. Uh, great for schools and things like that. But you can interface with the Roomba. You can program the Roomba the same way. So you can get in there and uh, and do just what you said. Somebody set the um, 
And, well, now you know. Here's here's the thing. The house also has to be smart enough to say, well, if I'm going to run the Roomba, I might want to turn off the motion detectors, right? Because I don't want the alarm going off because the Roomba's running. So go room to room, say, hey, Roomba, go in this room and start vacuuming. I'll just turn off the motion detectors in that room while I'm in there. So you could certainly do things like that. Um, of course, there are, are uh, those pet immune motion detectors. Yeah, I don't know if they're Roomba immune. They may be, but uh, those are you know basically they just uh, decide well the movement wasn't big enough to cause me to trigger. Uh, yeah. So you know uh, this is a total aside for me, but I've uh, been talking. Anytime we talk about automation, I talk about my work with MIDI, Musical Instrument Digital Interface, because mm-hmm. I I love that stuff and I and I love. Uh, you know, just the general automation stuff in general. At shrinkster.com slash 10 a.m., and I'm not making this up, Richard, now we're into four digits, one, wow. one zero <laughs> a.m., 10 a.m., uh, I have an, uh, a link to an article about sensors to MIDI, and there's a board called the MIDI Sense Board that, um, that takes input from a lot of standard sensors, and it has links to some of these, and then converts that to MIDI signals. So with that and my um, and my uh, MIDI library, you can get input and react to it in a in a .NET program. I imagine like there's just about every kind of sensor in the world that can plug into a home automation kit. Oh yeah, yeah. From force to sound to bend to oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we could do a lot with that. Okay, yeah, I'm checking that out. But I, I always thought it would be fun. You know, any t- every time I bring my kids to Disney World and you go to Epcot, and I think it's the Kodak World of Imagination where uh, you go back down after after you go through the ride or whatever it is, you go into a room where they have all sorts of things you can interact with. And one of the things they have is um, motion detectors on each side of a bar and that gets translated into MIDI information, which then moves a picture and a sound. Mm-hmm. And, and the sound goes up uh, in pitch when you go high, and it goes down in pitch when you go low. And uh, you can sort of conduct your own sort of symphony like that. And I just thought wow. that was so cool. And it's all done, it's done with That's MIDI. That's very cool. Well, this is, a, yeah, I'm looking at this board, and um, it looks like you could do a lot with this. might even be... Um yeah, I don't know. This this could be the next coding for fun article. Yeah, you want to go for that? <laughs> now we're talking. Yeah, let's do it. That would be fun. You can use my code. Let's do it. Yeah, fabulous. Very fun. goodness knows. Yeah, he likes to pro. He likes to program for fun. <laughs> That's uh, what I'm all about. Is there is there any other reason? <laughs> is there any other reason? Really? Yeah, pay. Yeah, program. Yeah, yeah there is that. There is that. Yeah, that's a good side. That's a good side benefit. <laughs> Uh, Leviton, didn't they just buy control think they're just sort of the, the sort of center of all of the, a lot of this automation technology. Yes, they did. They did just buy control think. Um, and the folks that I interact with, I, I, I still talk to, uh, some of the control think people, um, very nice responsive group. Uh, so I don't think that being bought by, uh, Behemoth like Leviton has uh, has changed them any. No, I mean Leviton's a behemoth for a while. They make a lot of amazing technology. Their, oh, yeah. their whole uh, line of uh, Vizia stuff is is mm-hmm. cool. That's why I use every switch in my house is, is Vizia uh, Vizia switch. Yeah, what is Vizia? So uh, Vizia is 
the Leviton brand of Z-Wave switches. That's their uh, radio frequency light switches and controllers. And Z-Wave is this uh, mesh networking protocol and technology that uh, are being put into lots of home automation gear now. So you can actually buy wireless uh, motion detectors that are Z-Wave. I went with wired in my house. If you had to retrofit, you could go wireless. But if you're if you're not retrofitting, hardwire everything if you can. Um, except for the, the light switches, I went with these wireless Z-Wave switches because it's really easy to replace them if they break, um, which I haven't had any problems with mine in the, the year that uh, I've been in the house. It's easy to program them, and they, the more switches you have in the house, the better things get. Uh, so if you go back to that, that older X10 technology, you had power line issues because it was transmitting over the power line and right. things like that. Couldn't cross with a this, switch. Right. Uh, with this technology, the, the switches actually form a mesh network and will route from switch to switch, from node to node in the network to make sure that a command initiated from one part of the network gets to the other part of the network. So if I use a remote to say, turn off the kitchen light, but I'm in the bedroom, that command goes from switch to switch until it gets to the switch in the kitchen, which then turns off. Uh, but it all happens in microseconds. Uh, it's very, very fast. And the the control thing people have um, .NET frameworks, don't they? Yes. Yeah. Yes, they do. And theirs is the SDK that I use for controlling the lighting in the house. So I didn't have to write that part of the code. I just had to write a DSS service around their APIs to expose their APIs, essentially, uh, a few of their APIs, as uh, services for the robots. That's awesome. So, yeah, very cool. And uh, like I said, a great bunch of folks, and they've helped me solve anytime I've had problems. Um, I've uh, shout out to Chris Walker, who's helped me solve problems, uh, and he's really, really good. So one of the interesting potentials I can see for the simulation environment is I could try out new controllers or new devices and start looking at how they would interact. Is it worth buying those laser motion sensors? I mean, I can see that with the robot side, but now I can see it with the home automation as well. What if we added a motion sensor here? What would we get? Exactly. And for people who don't have any home automation software at all, but thought, you know, I might want to try something out, um, you can actually download the code that I've got. You could play with, so I've got a simulated version of uh, the light switches. Yeah. Which, uh, when I say simulated in this case, there's actually no UI that runs in the simulation environment. It's just a uh, version of, that you can pop into a VPL diagram, and you can write code against it, and you can see messages flowing out of it. Uh, but it would be you know, pretty cool to translate that into the actual 3D visual simulation environment that comes with Robotics Studio so that you could, say, even model a house, model switches, model sensors, all in that visual environment and, you know, have, say, uh, a robot walking around the house or have some uh, some other, uh, what, uh, I can't think of the, the term now, uh, avatar. An avatar. An avatar, avatar walking yeah, around the house. you want somebody to walk around the house and see what the effects is. I want you to go through, open the door, go in this room, all that sort of thing, and run the simulation that way. Exactly. And I know that in the robotics space, most of the vendors now have taken the time to build uh versions of all their controls in the simulation space i gotta think like a leviton would be a great partner if they implemented all of their stuff for robotic studio then we could build these great simulations oh absolutely 
that would be so fantastic. And and can you imagine you know, just being able to, like I said, model a house or even go you know take this industrial. I'm going to do industrial building controls. Sure. Before I do that, before I deploy the software for that, I want to be able to test it in that environment, see what happens. Yeah, yeah, I know it's a great idea, and, and I'm mean, actually the power of those visual simulations just to show the customer. You know, mm-hmm. Here's what it'll look like. Here's what will happen when you use it. Yeah, and and, and to debug it before your wife gets to uh, test it because uh, right. You know, let me tell you, yeah. I actually did that in a couple of cases with my code where, while I was writing the services and testing the services, I would run things and with with the uh, the test version of the switches and see anomalous things going on, be able to correct them before I actually put this thing you know, into production, as it were. In the yeah, house. before she found them. Yeah, because then that, that's, just gonna, that's not going to be as, uh, as pleasant an experience. No. <laughs> Although my wife is probably one of the most laid-back people in the world, so uh, she'd probably say, oh, you got a bug in your coat, go fix that. Uh-huh. <laughs> so. Well, we shrinksterized a link to your article on programming with Robotic Studio, home automation programming with Robotic Studio. All right. <laughs> it's at shrinkster.com slash 10AP. All right. Very Recording cool. for fun. Only other thing I would mention is um, there's some, some links that I sent you. Um, one of the, the communities out there that um, I frequent is uh, called Cocoon Tech. And it's a great board for people who are into home automation. A lot of really good people out there. They'll answer any question, even the dumb ones from me. And uh, they're really friendly and knowledgeable people. Cool. Excellent. Thanks, Stacy. Well, you're welcome. It's and, been awesome. Uh, I look forward to talking to you guys again. I look forward to playing with this stuff. And uh, we'll definitely hook up about that, um, about that next article. All right, cool. Well, if you're ever in Ann Arbor, give me a call. You can come over and check out the house. That'd be great. I'll take some pictures, post them on the blog. All right. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website, at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.